I'm Chris Lindstrom, and this is the Food About Town podcast. Before we get into this episode with Luis Perez from Peels on Wheels Pizzeria located over on Culver Road, I wanted to remind you about Curate Meals. Uh, If you're listening today on September the 6th, you can order up until 2 p.m. today for our event on September 7th. We've moved our pickup location to Three Heads Brewing, Rochester's premier craft brewery, and we're so thrilled to be there. We hope you can dine in with us. You know, grab a couple beers and enjoy and discuss some amazing food here in Rochester. Go to CurateMeals.com to buy your meal today. And we're back with another episode of the Food About Town podcast. It's another eh, not quite blustery day. Everything's melting a little bit. It's real nice outside. And uh, I've got a guest with me who I've been looking forward to talking with in detail for a while now. Why don't you introduce yourself, sir? My name's Louis Perez, and I'm the owner of Peels on Wheels Pizza. Man, so I'm a pizza nerd. You're a pizza nerd. We've had some chats, uh, you know, on and off over the last couple years. Yep. But I'm really excited to nerd out about pizza for an hour. Yeah, yeah. You know, this has been a long time coming. I know we've been talking about this, you know, getting together and, and wanting to talk pizza and hear you know, the, the Peels on Wheels story and the journey I've, I've taken to get to where I am. But we've been doing it now about two years, and finally, two years later, here we are <laughs> sitting down, and now we have the time to be able to talk about it. So before we get into the history, you, you messaged me this morning. Yeah. And you messaged me this morning. We delayed the recording by a little bit because you were working on your dough hydration. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, man, that just makes me so happy because I know he's measuring that his hydration's wrong and that he's fixing it and he needs to fix yep, it yep. or else you're making focaccia. Yeah. So <laughs> so essentially, yeah, this morning, I mean, it happens. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. And, uh, you know, for me, it's it's we've already outgrown our mixer. So we're doing double batches of dough now. Um, and today, luckily, I was actually doing two separate batches of dough and the second one actually accidentally put about a liter and a half too much water. So it made it very, very, very wet. So Um, that would be, so when we're talking about dough hydration, we're going to start getting into the nerdery early. So when we're talking about dough hydration, when you get to the higher hydrations, then you're getting to things that are very puffy, you know, very soft. Like when I bring up focaccia, it's a very high hydration dough or things like, uh, um, like the Detroit style pizzas, higher, higher yeah. hydration, not quite as high as like focaccia and other things. Yeah. But. Yeah. So typically like anything that that's 60% or higher. So before we, we continue, explain what dough hydration levels yeah, are. So, so hydration is really just the volume of water utilized in, in a recipe. So say you had a thousand grams of flour and you wanted a 60% hydration. So essentially you would multiply that thousand grams by 60% and you would achieve 600 grams. And that would be your 600 grams of water used in a recipe equaling 60% hydration. And when you're making, when you're making dough at this kind of, when you're trying to be precise about consistency and everything else, part of baking is not, it's not as much like, you know, cooking 
another thing, mm-hmm. you're really measuring everything to be consistent all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah, and that was the biggest thing when I learned about Baker's percentages, and honestly, I didn't learn about it until two years ago when I started this journey. Yeah. Um, and prior to that, it was like, here's the bucket. You fill the bucket all the way to the top of flour. <laughs> here's the pitcher. You fill this twice. You dump it in. Yeah. And that's what I knew, you know, and, and you know, when I learned about Baker's percent- percentages, it, it just made so much sense from a consistency standpoint. Um, and, and honestly, you know, Baker's percentages are super important to, to be able to have that consistent product week to week, day to day. Um, obviously there's, there's other variables in there that will, you know, adjust the outcome of the product, but really Baker's percentages are are great. You don't want to typically, you know, double a recipe or triple a recipe. Those, those percentages help you get a far more consistent product at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, and then it's, you know, after you get the basics, then it comes down to feel and environment Mm -hmm. and all the other things that do change the results over the course of a year. Mm -hmm. You know, right now in the winter, you know, if your shop is 10 degrees colder or 20 degrees colder than it is in the summertime, Mm -hmm. I mean, your fermentation is wildly different. Oh, absolutely. You know, and even the weather, you know, it's such a, a, a major variable, especially in like the, the spring and, and summer and more so being that we're in Rochester, New York, you know, one day we could have a 40 degree cold day, you know, in the spring and then the next week or the next day could be a, you know, 30 degree swing or 40 degree swing, which is absolutely absurd. So you kind of got to play a, a weatherman in a way or a weather woman when, when making dough during those times. But, but yeah, it's, it's a very fun, fascinating, you know, process. And it's one of those things where, you know, temperature and humidity really can affect the overall outcome. So that's where the, the nerdery, if you want to mm-hmm. call it, comes into play. I can. And I do, because I think it's, I think the reason I use that term is because there's so much to learn. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that as a negative because I, to me, it's, it's somebody who wants to learn everything about a thing and just can't not dive in as deep as possible to learn everything there is to learn and keep on experimenting and keep on trying to get better because I mean, that's what nerdery is. Like mm-hmm. you have to, you just need to know more. Yeah. Yeah. And you can never learn too much. Um, and especially with, with pizza, you know, it's a, a, an ever changing industry, you know, they're coming up with new processes, new equipment, um, you know, and, and every single style of, of pizza may have a different process, you know, and, and incorporating different processes from different styles of pizza, you know, to make your own, um, um, unique style, mm-hmm. um, or hybrid or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, it's a, a very fascinating, just craft in general. And, and for me, you know, I, I've always been a math and numbers, you know, math and science guy. And, and I think, you know, as I've gotten older, you know, I kind of reflect on that where, you know, in high school, I was, I was kind of a a math and science guy, you know, and geek. And, and here I am later in life, you know, still dealing with math and science and, and, in a different way and, and, and an aspect that I'm super passionate about. Um, and really the most important piece to, to any of the pizza that I make is the dough. Yeah. Well, and that, I mean, between the, between all the, you know, the math that goes into making it and now running a business, it's all math. It's all numbers. Yeah. And, you know, like I cross all that stuff with a lot of things I do with my day job Mm -hmm. and everything else. I mean, it's all analysis. It's all 
just details on details. And mm-hmm. that's just how I tackle everything is details on details. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because Absolutely. it's just how I, I can't not, that's how I do everything. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's super important to, like you said, that uh, being all in, you know, yeah. we we're talking about all that prior to this was being 100% committed to For what sure. you're doing. Yeah. Well, let's, let's go into, let's go into the path then. So we'll, we'll get back into details on pizza because I have a lot of, I have a lot of interesting comments. I think that might be some, uh, some, uh, reviews on recent, uh, reviews on recent pizzas. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go into the history. So you said you were into math and numbers and you grew up in New York, right? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in the Bronx, spent my early childhood down there. And, um, you know, some will argue that that is the Mecca for pizza next to Italy. Um, and, and quite frankly, you know, there are some excellent pizza shops in New York, but there are also some pretty bad ones. I, I mean, um, it's a significant percentage of bad ones. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because we, we talk about, you know, there's a lot of good ones, but it's a giant city. So there's a ton of pizzerias, which means there's a lot of bad pizza oh, going uh, on yeah. in New York city. Majority bad. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And everyone thinks that, you know, some of the worst ones are better than than the best ones here in, in Rochester, New York, or any any city, nonetheless, that you can find great pizza in any city you travel to. Um, you just got to look for it. Right. It's um, just how many. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, grew up in New York City, you know, loved pizza at a, from a very young age. And, you know, my family decided to to cut ties with their jobs and start a new life for for me and my sisters and decided to pack up everything and move to 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 Geneseo, New York. So we went from the South Bronx to Geneseo, New York, and I finished up middle school and high school there. And when I graduated middle school and high school, I, I moved to Rochester. Um, and, and, you know, during that whole span, when I was old enough to, to get a job, I'd worked in the restaurant industry since I was 14, um, you know, working in a, a banquet house as a dishwasher at the age of 14 and worked my way up to a line cook within a year. And here I am as a, a line cook, you know, at 15 years old with guys who are in their mid to late twenties and guys in their forties. And I'm sure you were in a lot of different things being a line cook yes, in that environment. Yes. Yes. So, <laughs> so, um, that was a lot of fun and that was really, you know, uh, uh something that I, I grew to love from a very young age, you know, being a, a Hispanic kid, food and, and family is, is the most important thing. And, and, you know, for me being in that restaurant setting, at a young age, I was, I was able to, to relate to it from, from my culture. And, uh, you know, going forward, I knew it was what I was, I was meant to work in, you know, cause it just was all natural, yeah. um, for me. So yeah, then, uh, yeah, been in Rochester now about 12 years, you know, when I graduated high school, um, dating myself. So I'm 30, um, so 30 years old and, uh, started this pizza business back in probably, uh, summer of 2019 officially formed Peels on Wheels. Um, and honestly, it was really something I was just planning to do on the side. Um, and, and cause you were working in institutional dining, right? Yeah. So I, I, it's so funny how things work, but I worked my entire career to get to that point where I was Monday through Friday, nine to five. Um, you know, no, you know, weekends off, paid holidays, you know, benefits, everything, the whole nine. Like and it was working great. normal people hours. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. But still in, you know, a, a restaurant, you know, food, hospitality setting. And uh, yeah, I was there. I, I enjoyed my time there, but I just felt like something was missing. And 
being that I had so much more time on my hand, you know, essentially summers were nearly off. I was really only working like 32 hours a week and it was Monday through Friday out of work by three o'clock. So I'm like, what can I do on my nights and weekends to make a little extra cash? And, um, my cousin actually owns a cidery out in Williamson called Embarcraft Cider Works. Sure, sure. And I had purchased this portable pizza oven and, and on a whim, I just reached out to them and I'm like, Hey, do you ever sell, you know, wood from the trees? And, uh, she's like, actually, yeah, every year we allow people to come cut down, you know, the, the, uh, older trees to take the wood. And, um, she asked me why I'm like, well, I got this portable pizza oven. She's like, you need to bring that over here and take, do a kitchen takeover. And I'm like, whoa, let me just figure this pizza <laughs> oven out. And, uh, so you were, you're working on one of the, one of the ones that people can buy at home. Yeah. So, so essentially my wife. Uh, and I both saw it on social media separately. So I saw it like beginning of 2019 on social media. Didn't think any, anything of it. Thought it was cool. Then like a few months later, she came across and she's like, look at this. And I was like, oh, it's awesome. I didn't realize it was a pizza oven. Um, and she's like, it's a pizza oven. I'm like, get out of here. So surely enough, like two days after she, you know, showed me it for the second time, I ended up buying it. Um, and, and from then on, it was just like, became more and more obsessed with pizza. And that's when I really learned about what pizza truly is and, and how much work it is to do it right. And, you know, I can't sit here and say that I didn't have any pizza experience prior to starting this. I did, but fortunately for me, it was all what not to do. Yeah. And pretty much everything I've learned on what to do is from research and trial and error. So what was the biggest thing when you started that in retrospect, you were doing so blatantly wrong? Well, one thing was the type of ingredients. Um, fermentation. Did I had no idea what fermentation was. You know, I was making dough and using it within 12 hours, you know, things like that, or making dough and using it within a few hours um, versus making it and allowing it to ferment, you know, for a period of time. Um, and, and honestly, like it was that the ingredients and just the science behind pizza and baker's percentages. I didn't yeah. know what any of that was. So before we before we continue, we're gonna we're gonna stop in moments and explain <laughs> a lot of the reasons why, mm -hmm. because like we're speaking the same language, but that's through a lot of time and effort and research and all these mm -hmm. things. So explain why fermentation matters in essentially what is bread baking when we're talking bread baking, but in the form of pizza. So why, why does fermentation matter? What does that do to the dough, both in texture, flavor, and everything else? So fermentation, the biggest thing about fermentation is the, like the correlation between fermentation and digestibility. So just like fermenting a good wine spirit or, or, you know, uh, beer, you want to ferment your dough or bread in the same kind of, with having the same kind of mindset. Um, you're doing everything you can to get that dose pH level as close to the digestive tract of your body. Um, if something's got a high pH level or low pH level, it's very difficult for your body to digest. Um, and you're just trying to find that sweet spot. Unfortunately, there's really no way to test the pH level of the dough. You can test the pH level of the water, test the pH level of the like sourdough, but there's, I don't think there's a, a anything you can test the actual pH level of the actual dough. So trying to find that sweet spot through trial and error. And, um, you know, there's days where the dough comes out excellent, super light, super airy. There's days where it comes out a little off. But, yes, fermentation, the science behind it was, like, one of the things that was just, like, an aha moment yeah. for me during this whole journey. Well, because it also, I mean, 
the other part of it is texture and flavor. Yeah. Because as you're, if you're under fermenting, you're going to be, it's going to be very tight. You're not mm-hmm. going to get any of those, any of those beautiful airy bubbles. Yeah. If it's over fermented, it's going to be very slack and hard to work with. Yep. So, so typically like when something's under fermented, it, it is going to lack a lot of that flavor, a lot of that texture because not enough gases are produced by that yeast because yeast consumes the sugars and the flours and two byproducts of yeast are alcohol and CO2. And the CO2 is what are going to fill those little pockets and micro bubbles in that dough and expand over time. And then that's where you get that nice rise. Now, if something's over fermented, typically the crust lacks color. It's very, very yeasty in scent. It's very acidic in flavor, almost f- tastes sour in a way. Um, but yeah, you want to find that sweet spot. And typically if something's over fermented, lack of color, lack of really texture, if something's under fermented, usually too much color, um, really a lot of bunch of bubbles throughout, not consistent um, because it has essentially a lot of live yeast in there, a lot of CO2 um, and things like that. Yeah. Cause it's, after you, if you taste a lot of pizza, you can start to taste generally how much mm-hmm. fermentation it went through. Yeah, just yeah. by taste. Yeah. Um, and like for me, like I always loved like long, nasty ferments. Yeah. Because I want, I love acidity. I love those funky notes, and I love where it's almost falling apart. You know, especially with uh, Neapolitan pizza. Yeah. Yeah. Like I want those big puffy. I don't want any crunch. I want mm-hmm. it super puffy. I want it like really like hard to work with and yeah. it's unfair for any pizzeria to yeah. make anything that way. Cause it's amazingly inefficient Yeah, yeah. to work with. But that's also my favorite is like, Hey, I want three plus days. I want. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it's, it's unrealistic for any pizza place to really work with that kind of dough day in and day out. Yeah. So, so for us, you know, depending on the style of pizza, we'll ferment them different ways. So of like, course we have essentially like, eight or nine different dough recipes um, for each style of pizza that we're making. And currently we're only offering uh, four different styles right now. Only four. Yeah, four different (laughs) styles. Um, And and all of them have a different dough recipe, different fermentation schedule, different type of, you know, process um, for each one. But yeah, I mean, fermentation is is key to everything. And, And fermentation is beautiful because... Not only that, fermentation is great for gut, your gut and gut health. Um, and, and quite frankly, like uh, another thing for me, like if you ferment, ferment something properly, you don't need as, as much dough volume, sure. if that makes sense. So yeah, sure. when I first started making Neapolitan style pizza, and and I can't believe that that I reflect back on it, I was weighing out my, my dough balls, like typical Neapolitan, 10 to 12 inch pizza in size, usually somewhere around like 260 to 200 gram dough ball. When I was doing it, when I first started out, I was doing a 330 or 350 gram dough ball. So nearly <laughs> uh, almost 100 grams more dough than your yeah. typical Neapolitan style pizza. So let's let's take a pause and let's yeah. explain that style of pizza. So I'll, I'll do my spiel. So that kind of pizza is, if we're talking very traditional style, is exceedingly limited ingredients Mm -hmm. on the classic pizza. We're talking four ingredients in the dough at most. Mm -hmm. So it's flour, water, salt, some sort of yeast. Mm -hmm. You can add it or it can be, you know, can be a starter or anything Mm -hmm. else. And then 
traditional, if we're talking the most traditional toppings, you know, tomato, cheese, olive oil, basil, eight ingredients, done. Yeah. Within reason, you know, eight to eight to 10, depending on how you top it. Yeah. If it's a hard yeah. cheese and then some salt on top, but you're talking eight to 10 total ingredients in a pizza cooked at, you know, very high temperatures, 800 being the bare minimum. Yeah. Typically. If we're cooking properly. Yeah. Yeah. For, for authentic Neapolitan style, the AVPN um, is something that regulates, you know, the integrity of Neapolitan style pizza in Italy. Um, and, and yeah, you hit the, the nail on the head for all of those, but yes, yeah, simplicity at its finest. Soft, typically soft pizza cooked quickly in an yep. oven, but it's, it's lean. Yeah. Unlike, you know, uh, the New York style pizza, which that you're making mostly now. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Neapolitan, um, is actually one of the oldest styles of pizza. Um, it was, uh, it was early 1800s when, when that one technically was created but uh, but yeah the the og of all styles of pizza and really that one um kind of led the path to all the other styles of pizza and uh it is a a simple simple type of dough it's fermented usually no longer than like 48 hours um you know and there's places that ferment it much longer than that but that's not necessary um but yeah neapolitan style pizza is definitely the one that we started out with and again, it's a very light pizza. Um, honestly, I think the the pizza marinara, which is just essentially tomato sauce, garlic, oil, Sicilian oregano, sea salt, and really that's it. Um, and that one, I want to say, is is under seven hundred calories or six hundred calories for a twelve inch pizza. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is it's it's crazy to think about. Like reflect back on that, where when I first started out, I was weighing it out to three hundred and thirty, three hundred fifty grams, nearly hundred grams more than what the AVP recognizes for that size pizza. So more dough, poor fermentation practices. And looking back at the pizzas that I was making two years ago, I was clueless. You know, I, in a way, I knew a little bit more than your average pizza maker, um, but completely clueless to the process and the art and, you know, the specs per se in in regard to the dough. Right, because um, that, that's all technique too, because yeah. you have more because you're not getting it to the point where you can work it out thin yep. enough. Yep. I mean, yep. that's, that's all process that gets you to the point where you have to use more dough because you can't get it to the right size. Yeah. And now it's funny. And, and we're talking two years later, looking at the pieces when I first started out, seeing all the signs that, Oh my God, I was over fermenting every single batch of dough. That's why I was using more dough because I wasn't getting puffy crust. I was cheating in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, over fermented dough, very heavy dough ball. Um, and then now I'm, I'm, it's spot on. We've dialed it in. We've got a great recipe um, for our Neapolitan style. Um, but yeah, it's we're shooting between like 260 to 270 grams per dough ball for our Neapolitan style. Super light, super airy. Um, and, and it's just funny to reflect back on that because, like I said, when, when you ferment it the right way, that little bit of dough looks like I put a lot of dough in there, you know, because it's going to have those springy, airy, puffy crust. When you consume it, it's really not that much dough. You know, no. 260 grams of dough is not a lot. You know, if you're Absolutely. eating a margarita pizza, typically those are like 800 to 900 calories, yeah. you know, for one whole 12-inch pizza, um, which is not a lot. You no, know? it's amazing. Yeah, super, super <clears throat> light and super digestible. But, yeah, fermentation is everything. And, and for me, I just became so fascinated by the entire process, and, and, and it really didn't hit home for me until – you know, when I, when I got that first pizza oven and I started playing around at home and learning, um, you know, eight months into owning the oven, uh, uh, that's when I really started to take pizza 
very seriously after doing, you know, a few pop-ups of Neapolitan style pizza at my cousin's tap right. room. So and you were doing, you were doing that pop-up and then you started, you started doing more public pop-ups, which yeah. is where people started to know your name. So quite frankly, I, Technically, this all started in late 2019 um, on the side of, of my job at RIT. I was doing, you know, two pop-ups a month at my cousin's tap room, you know, on, on you know, Saturdays or Sundays um, or even Friday evenings. And then from there, um, by November, December, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go full go in 2020. Uh, this, is, this is what I want to do. And the more people that I made pizza for, the more confidence I got in myself um, by fr- from friends, families, customers. And, and from there, you know, 2020, I was really going to hit the ground running, but unfortunately that was not the case. No, unfortunately not. Yes. So, so I had to adjust and adapt. And then from there, um, I had the opportunity in, in January of 2020 to do an event called homegrown at love and cup, which is a large, large event, um, that homegrown or that love and cup would do every single year. And it's basically a bunch of different local vendors, um, local craft breweries, and just really raising awareness for those businesses. And essentially you uh, get a slot of two hours um, and you produce whatever your product is. And it's a ticketed price, thousands and thousands of attendees. Um, and again, granted, this was pre-pandemic. I mean, actually, we were, we were technically in it, but we had no idea we were in it. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I had that opportunity. We made 150 pizzas in a four-hour span, so I was lucky enough for them to allow me to have four hours instead of two. Wow. And then from there, that was really like the moment where I was able to scratch the Rochester mar- market. Um, you know, everything beyond prior to 2020 was really what their customers were out in Williamson at their farm. It really, I wasn't getting people to travel out from Rochester or surrounding areas to come get my pizza. Um, so yeah, 2020 did that homegrown. And I also signed up for a course in Canada to get certified in Roman style pizza. And when I took that course, that's when I really learned about fermentation and the science behind pizza making or dough making. Which, I mean, to be fair, one of my absolute favorite styles of pizza, you know, the pizza Italia, the, Mm -hmm. uh, what is now, what is now Roman style pizza? I Mm -hmm. mean, there's, two different, two or three different kinds of yeah. Roman style yep. pizza, if we're being yeah. really specific. But the one that got popularized by uh, Gabriel Bunchy, mm-hmm. um, it's just one of the truly great, truly great styles of oh, pizza yeah. that is, man, how would you describe it? It's kind of like a hybrid for pizza styles that people might know. It's kind of like a hybrid between like the Sicilian style and a, Detroit style almost it's puffy it's not not that yeah so it's, it's hard to describe it really is it's a pan pizza it's super light very high hydration long it's almost like a focaccia kind of yeah very similar but but the thing is with that style pizza typically it's like it's 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 baked usually par baked electric and ovens from there and then uh it's topped with another set of ingredients and then you know finish with those and then when it comes out again you finish it with more ingredients so it's like three-dimensional typically, yeah. um, layers of ingredients, layers of flavor. The crust is super, super crunchy, super, super light. Um, it, Like I said, it takes usually most places 96-hour fermentation. So you're talking a four- or five-day fermentation mm. schedule. So um, <laughs> it is incredible. It's definitely one-of-a-kind style of pizza. Um, and fortunately for me, I was able to travel to Italy and try that pizza from, you know, his very first original location – um, and when you have that pizza, it is life changing. It is absolutely one of a kind. A hundred percent. I mean, we, when I had it for the first time there, 
we've, we've only been over once, but we had traveled all night. We had actually had to, we got into our Airbnb mm-hmm. and the air conditioner was just dripping all over the place. Oh, no. And it wasn't, it wasn't what they sold us. So we had to leave. So we were exhausted. We were gone, you know, 30 some odd hours yeah. awake. And at that point we found our other place. We hadn't gotten there yet, but we needed comfort. And that's where we went. It was yeah. on the way to that place. And we went there for lunch and it just, it filled everything we needed at yeah. that moment. And it was just like, you could feel the tension and the exhaustion just go away when yeah. you bit into it. Cause it was just perfect. Isn't that beautiful about food? It was amazing. Yeah. So yeah. Bonchi. I mean, obviously one of a kind, super, super talented pizza chef. Um, and now, you know, it just, it's, it's a very trending style of pizza, Roman style pizza. For sure. Um, there's, there's only one other place. There's only one place in like the Western central New York area that does a Roman style pizza called Pinza Romana. And that's the pizza style that I got certified in. Um, and it's in Buffalo called Daniela, I believe is a Mm -hmm. restaurant. Um, but yeah, I mean, Roman style pizza, it's, it's a flatbread, but it's not so flat, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, not so flat, flatbread. Um, but yeah, the, the Roman style pizza, when I learned how to do that, learned about fermentation, the science behind it, how to properly make dough in a spiral mixer, um, and learning about the tools of the trade and the craft and utilizing, like you said, electric deck ovens. Um, and that's actually, you know, the style oven that we have now in our restaurant is an electric deck oven, um, which plays a huge role in, in, in pizza making. Um, and the biggest thing with like an electric deck oven versus like your typical wood burning oven or gas oven is there's combustion with those two versus an electric. Electric has much more dry heat. Um, and now they're, they're actually very, very, um, what's the word, uh, uh, eco-friendly. Um, and, and quite frankly, you know, we love our electric deck oven because you have so many settings that you can adjust and really, really make characteristics or create characteristics super unique to your styles of pizza. Because I have to say the consistency has to be like a delight that you're going to get the temperature you want every time. Yeah. So, so it is, but at the same time, when, when you start to increase that volume and you're going in and out of that oven and you know, if it's a colder day in the restaurant, your dough's not quite down to room temp sometimes. So like those are the battles that you face from a consistency standpoint, because at the end of the day, you want every ingredient going on that pizza as close to room temp as possible. Um, and, and when it goes into that oven, so it retains its heat because when it's not retaining its heat, it's losing it. It's now, you know, it's maybe it's 50 to 75 degrees off in that oven, which will skew your pizza. Um, you know, and, and we've, we're getting more and more familiar with it. And we've are, are kind of getting to a point where we know what our capacity is without sacrificing our, our products integrity. Yeah. So, but yeah, it is, it was, I I love my oven. Um, I was actually the first one in the United States to have a Tauro, uh, deck oven. Um, and quite frankly, I'm so happy I, I decided to go the route of an electric oven because you're seeing a lot of pizzerias throughout the industry. Um, switching from gas to electric ovens. Well, it's, it's also good for your, it's good for your environment in the pizza shop as well. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, your carbon footprint, which is great. Um, and, and for me, you know, the, the ability to, to adjust and tweak those settings, you know, I could have a different temperature on my ceiling than I can on my floor and also increase the temperature on my door. If I'm going in and out of that oven a lot during peak service hours, um, it really is, 
one of my favorite things that I've purchased so far and um, custom made and imported from Italy along with my, my spiral mixer. So for me, you know, when I took that course, I'm like, if I'm going to be doing this, I'm going to be doing it the right way. Yeah. And I want to have the right tools for the job. Yeah. So um, let, let's take a quick break. We'll, we'll dive into the transition from the, from the pop-ups over to the shop and we'll be right back. Before we get back to this episode, wanted to remind you to go to curatemeals.com to order your meal for an upcoming event. We feature the best of Rochester food, and we hope you can join us live for pickup at Three Heads Brewing. But also wanted to remind you to go and learn about the Lunchador Podcast Network. We have podcasts about beer, food, movies, just conversation, anything that will help you mow your lawn or get your dishes done quicker. It's the Lunchador Podcast Network. And I'm proud to be part of the Lunch Order Podcast Network, so hope you go out and learn more about the amazing shows on the network. And now, back to this episode. And we're back with the second half hour conversation with Luis Perez. Luis or Luis? Technically Luis. Okay. But I go by everything, you know, from Lou to Luigi to <laughs> Luis to Lois. I mean, friends, family, coaches, depending on who you are, you come up with a different nickname. I, I'll respond to it all. All right. I'm going to go Luis just because, uh, you know, try to be as, as proper as I can. Yeah, yeah. From Peels on Wheels Pizza Garage, which is located over on Culver. What What's the actual address over there? So it's 1157 Culver Road. Um, we're directly across the street from Arlene's Costumes and like the Parcells, uh, uh, extension. Yeah. Um, right near, uh, right near, um, one of my favorite, uh, German spots, uh, Swan yeah, Market, yep. uh, Barry Fisher over there. Yep. We are hopping a skip from there as well as new city cafe, just a couple blocks North of uh, saucy chef who just moved in. Yeah. Um, great yeah. little, great little uh, coffee shop over in new yeah, city. It's really, yep. Love really new a city. delight. Yeah, it really is. And, and there's definitely some sort of a Renaissance going on there and just in the city of Rochester in general, and even like within the pizza scene, um, there's a bit of a renaissance going on with Pizza Wizard Doughboys and then Peels on Wheels. Um, and then there's this other pop-up pizza business called Fuoco and Farina, I believe. Oh, I haven't um, even seen those yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's definitely fun. And, and we're just happy to be a part of the community and, and, and provide quality pizza and service to our community. Yeah, so... Let's let's finish out your journey because yeah. before the break we were talking about you're finishing your you're working on the pop up and then at some point you get the the angle to open your own shop which is yeah. open now. So so essentially 2020 trying to give a Twitter version here but 2020 did homegrown took the pizza course you know had high hopes for really hitting the market here in the city of Rochester got a, connected with three heads guys and they're like. We want you to do this every week over at our, our brewery. And I was like, hell yeah. Which is huge. I mean, yeah. the audience there is just Exactly. Wild. So uh, fast forward from, you know, beginning of February to mid-March, uh, go to complete lockdown. I get furloughed for my my full-time position at RIT, maintain my health, health benefits, but I had no income. So for me, obviously, I'm going to go full force with this pizza thing, but I wasn't able to vend food in the public. Um, and I really did not want to sell food out of my house or, you know, anything along the lines of that. I wanted to do it the right way. And, uh, for me, I had to adjust and pivot. So I reached out to Danielle over at the Rochester Brainery, saw if she, or sought out if she was interested in potentially offering a virtual pizza making class. Um, and I actually ended up selling pizza kits, no plan what to do do that prior to the pandemic, just wanted to do, you know, uh, uh, pop-ups, you know, and sell food to the public, but unfortunately I really wasn't able to. So I did a packaged, um, pizza kit cause I saw some other restaurants doing like at home DIY kits. So I essentially did that from 
end of March through mid-May. And then those were a success. I was selling about, you know, during the peak weeks, like two to 250 kits a week, which I was blown away by. Still got my my brand and my concept out there a little bit. Um, taught virtual pizza making classes. And then right around mid-May, things opened up for breweries to offer food. Um, if they had outdoor seating, there was no capacity. So Three Heads had a huge patio. You know, they could fit, you know, 75 to 100 people out on their patio. And perfect we were, confluence of events. Yeah, so it was just like exactly a perfect storm. Um, and then from there, you know, I, I decided to to really grow my social media, focus in on that, build a relationship with the company that uh, manufactures the ovens that I use, and eventually obtained a sponsorship by them, um, and really just making pizza for the community through the breweries. And then once one brewery heard about us from Three Heads, Next thing you know, we're doing breweries all over in different counties, different cities. And by the end of 2020, you know, from basically my return date to RIT was August 1st. And I had the rest of May booked, the rest of June booked, and the rest of July booked. Um, and July 1st comes along. And RIT reaches out to me and says, hey, we need you back after 4th of July. I say, well, this is what's going on. This is what I've been doing. They say, that's great, but we need you back August 1st. If you can't come back after 4th of July, I'm like, okay. And at that point just had come to that fork in the road where it's either continue my, my, my path within my pizza business or go back to RIT and exhaust my vacation time and so forth, which I ended up deciding to cash out and pursue this pizza thing. And then from there, we're entirely booked all the way up until uh, October 31st of 2020. And then 2021 came along. That's when we, our full focus was, we're going to build our truck, have our concept going. Um, and really, we didn't even have our full concept going until late 2020 with our truck that we imported from Italy um, and customized into a pizza truck. So like that should have been done in April of 2020. It wasn't done until not even to this date. It's still not 100% complete because <laughs> um, we've just been moving at a very, very fast pace. And yeah. obviously production and things like that for materials and sourcing materials has been a challenge. Um, so yeah, all of 2020, great pop-up events left and right. And, uh, 2021 comes along. We worked our tails off. I mean, we're talking Thursday through Saturday, Thursday through Sunday, week to week to week from when spring kicked off to when, you know, fall got too cold. So we ended around late October of 2021. And for me, I was planning to do the mobile thing one full more season and then get into a brick and mortar, hopefully by 2023. And during all that chaos of 2020 and 2021, every event that I did at Three Heads, I would drive by this vacant pizza shop on Culver Road on my way from my, my commissary kitchen in Arondequay to the Three Heads Brewing. I would pass by this place, Bubba and Fifi's Pizzeria, that's been vacant. Um, someone purchased that property in 2021, and they advertised it on social media. And in late 2021, I happened to just be toying around with pizza at my home and I was dropping some pizza off to some friends and, you know, uh, basically the most consistent common feedback I was receiving from friends and customers was, when are you going to open a brick and mortar? And, and I knew I, that was the route I was going to go. And my friend said, Hey, I came across this post on social media. Um, it's a vacant former pizzeria. You should definitely check it out. And I messaged that person that evening. The next day I went to see the space. By Sunday evening, we were talking lease agreements. <laughs> and then by mid-December, signed a lease for a uh, five-year lease 
for that space. And, you know, when I met the owner, we just connected, clicked. He was fully confident in my concept and my product. Um, I was fully confident in him and uh, the space. And surely enough, twenty early 2021, we ended up uh, signing. Actually, it was 2020 when we did all that. And yeah. then early 2021 uh, is when we actually announced we were opening a pizzeria. So you're talking starting this mobile pop-up thing technically late 2019 really didn't even hit the market until 2020 early 2020 and that was our first full season and then yeah the whole thing just kind of came to fruition which is wild how fast all that was it it, thinking back about it like i kept saying 2019 2020 2021 all that happened in 2019 and 2020 yeah um and i got into that brick and mortar space by you know End of 2021. Yeah. It's which crazy. Is, which is crazy. Cra- amazing how fast it all went. And like my cousin who owned the cidery, she was like, you know, this is so amazing. When you're in this process, things are just going to be moving around around you. And it's so true. You're like in this whirlwind of just all this stuff happening and trying to manage all this stuff. And you just look around like feeling like, what is going on? You just feel so lost through the entire process. And there's points where I feel like that now. You know, here we are two years later. Um, but yeah, it was, it's a very surreal journey and, and it was never a planned journey. You know, the entire, my entire career, I worked for so many, you know, whether it was local, corporate, um, you know, small mom and pop, whatever the case may be. Everyone told me, you don't want to own your own business. You don't want to own your own restaurant. You're going to live it day in and day out. But for me, you know, when I, I decided to pull the trigger and get into the restaurant industry and open up my own thing and, and start my own business, it was so rewarding at the end of the day because my success solely falls on how much I'm committed to it. And for me, and, and if you get to know me and, and who I am as a person, I'm a little over the top with everything I do. Um, and, and I go that extra mile, you know, giving 110% every single day and I'm completely committed to what I'm doing and building what I'm building. Yeah. And well, let's, let's talk about what you, what are you doing now and what do you, what do you offer at the pizzeria? Yeah. So for me, it's a, uh, if I could call it anything, an experimental pizza kitchen. Um, and for me, it's just focusing on, on sourcing the highest quality ingredients, focusing on the science behind pizza, making quality pizza in low quantities. We did that with our pop-up model. Um, and, and really we continue to run that same model out of the restaurant, um, you know, I, I, would rather make a hundred excellent pizzas than make, you know, three or 400 par subpar pizzas. Um, and for me, we, we decided to, to, or I decided to go the route of a New York style slice shop and our pizza kind of falls between like a wood fired or Neapolitan style and a New York style. So like traditional Neapolitan style baked 800 degrees or higher wood burning oven for 90 seconds or less, or a couple minutes or less. Traditional New York is anywhere from 450 to 550, 8 to 12 minutes. We're baking ours right around 675 for 4 to 6 minutes, depending on the size. And being that we're doing that with the type of oven we have, with the fermentation and the ingredients we're using in our recipe, you get characteristics consistent with both styles of pizza. So you'll see some leopard spotting. You'll see some charring. You'll see some. You'll have some crunch and a unique texture. Um, and ultimately boils down to the process, the ingredients, and the equipment. Yeah. So, I mean, it is a, I'd say what I would refer to it as is kind of the modern hybrid New York style, Mm -hmm. which has started to proliferate amongst the, you know, some of the newer pizzerias in New York city and other places, which is, I think is kind of the, 
the logical conclusion to New York style pizza is what you're doing now mm-hmm. because it's a little more refined. Like what you're talking about, your sourcing's really good. You're bringing in the, you're specifically picking your flowers mm-hmm. and all of your ingredients to make sure it's done properly. Um, and we're, we're starting to see that because the original, you know, New York style pizza wasn't what people know New York style pizza now. So it was those early, the cross between Neapolitan and what you could make in the U.S. in coal-fired ovens and all yeah. those things, which you're kind of halfway in between that and New York style now. Yeah, so so you're seeing a lot of, again, restaurants switching from those gas and those wood-burning ovens to electric deck ovens, and they're able to, like you saw, or I was saying earlier, really tweak those settings to be able to make their pizza super, super, super unique. Um, but, yeah, you're seeing that Neo-New York kind of hybrid uh, just becoming a, a trending style pizza within the pizza industry. And, um, you know, some of the top pizzerias in New York city, some of my favorite ones, you know, like Lindustry, they use an electric deck oven and they're using, you know, fermentation processes consistent with like a, a Neapolitan style pizza. Um, and, and quite frankly, New York style is really probably the closest cousin to a Neapolitan style pizza. Um, and, and for me, you know, growing up in New York, uh, I'm a little biased to what my favorite style pizza is, and New York style pizza is definitely one of my favorite style pizzas. Um, well, and that's kind of uh, uh, one of the you know prominent pizza writers in the you know probably early 2010s, late 2000s. It's a guy named Adam Cuban yeah. who did yeah. uh, the Slice blog through eventually through Serious Eats. Yeah, and his uh, one of his uh, monikers was the. Uh, the pizza cognition theory where you lock in on the pizza you remember most from your mm-hmm. childhood and that colors how you see pizza forever. Exactly. Exactly. So that, that Adam Kuban, he's amazing. You know, he great writer produces quality content on social media, spreads and raises awareness about businesses um, throughout New York city and pizzerias throughout, you know, the U S but, um, but yeah, that definitely is something that's very true to what I'm doing at the restaurant. Um, but yeah, so our, our flagship pizza is like a Neo New York, um, kind of falls in between on that spectrum, but we also do like Detroit style pizza once a week. We do Sicilian and grandma style pizza once a week. Um, we have plans to introduce a couple more styles, um, on other days of the week. And, and for us, it's just really focusing on, on utilizing fresh local produce, you know, using what's in season, um, making our own mozzarella and stracciatella in house, um, and, and really just, just focusing on making quality pizza using the most quality products on our, on our pizza. Which is a wild amount of effort, by the way, to be making your own cheese yeah. in-house. Yeah, so we're it making... It makes a difference. Oh, huge difference from, from grating your own cheese in-house to making your own cheese in-house. I mean, we're going through about 120 pounds of fresh mozzarella a week. Um, and, and that is something that I truly love, you know, and I'm so happy that... My uncle, he actually uh, uh, is from Naples, Italy. He he married into our family, and he uh, cheesemaker, and he taught me how to make fresh mozzarella. Worked for one of the top cheese uh, businesses in New York City in Little Italy, um, and he taught me how to make fresh mozzarella. And he's like, "Listen, if I teach you how to do this, you're going to separate yourself from a lot of your competitors because you're you're taking that extra step um, and and making your own cheese. And then also, you know, grating our own cheese in house. You know, we buy whole loaves." Um, so we're not getting pre-shredded or anything like that, that has anti-caking agents and, you know, fillers and preservatives in there. We're grating cheese every single day and making fresh mozzarella every single day. Um, and, and that's something that's 
important to me and our customers truly enjoy seeing that. Um, and, and it's those small things, you know, uh, from the ingredient standpoint, sourcing organic California grown tomatoes, sourcing oregano from Sicily, sourcing sea from or sea salt from the Mediterranean Sea in Italy. You know, all those different things are are important components to our pizza, um, and even olive oils and all that stuff. But collectively, all those those quality ingredients make a quality product. At the end of the day, um, all these restaurants that I worked at, they were dumping. 10, 12 different ingredients into their sauce and, you know, poor dough making practices and, and, you know, uh, poor fermentation practice and all that stuff. And, and that's why I, I reflect back on all the restaurant, the pizzerias that I worked at, because it was all stuff not to do. And now I know, you know, how to make a quality pizza and I, and I have a, a solid understanding of fermentation. And I think that speaks to our product. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about tomatoes for a minute. Then I want to talk about a separate subject after. So you ended up with, um, as a, the, the Bianco, uh, tomatoes from yeah. California made by, uh, one of the, you know, one of the, um, uh, most notable pizza makers in oh, the yeah. country. Um, explain how you got there with that specific tomato and why that one versus all the others. So for me, um, I had no clue about Bianco de Napoli tomatoes. Um, I actually got connected with a pizzaiolo in uh, Buffalo, New York, who runs uh, Jay's Artisan Pizzeria. Um, and he has been a mentor for me this entire process. So was, was it Jay himself? Yeah, so, John. John, John uh, Langfelder? Jay. Yeah, so yeah. so. So I mean he's I mean he's no longer the uh, the owner of that place. Yeah, he, he sold, sold it, it and he moved down south and he's uh, a I, chef for. Go ahead. Yeah, I love him. He's he's a wild man. Um, one of my favorite people I've met in and around just yeah. food in general because he's wildly passionate. Yeah. Like divisive at best because he was unabashedly passionate about everything he did, yeah. and he made you know he made his enemies along the way because he was yeah. really vocal about how every like how he was better than everybody else yeah i mean and 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 his pizza speaks to it it was amazing you know not just his neapolitan not not just his squares or anything i mean he's a super talented pizza maker no doubt and and i i reached out to him as a nobody i didn't know anyone in the restaurant industry here in rochester i didn't know anyone in the restaurant industry in buffalo let alone here's this kid who wants to start a food truck concept who has no idea about pizza and the ingredients and sourcing. And, you know, without him, I'm not where I am. He, I was buying products from him. I, I wasn't doing enough business to buy from a vendor. I would drive out to Buffalo, pick up my ingredients from him and, and learn about the ingredients and the flowers and learn more about, you know, the craft itself. And, and he's dedicated to that craft you know, 100% from sourcing quality ingredients, using local produce and, and, and just making clean pizza. Um, so yeah, I had no clue about Bianca Napoli tomatoes until I made my first visit over there as a customer to eat pizza. And then we just got talking and he kind of just was an open book, you know, and I admired that about him because throughout this, this industry, and, and I really didn't realize how large of an industry it is um, in the United States, let alone globally. Um, and to have someone like him who who's developed this brand and this 
awesome restaurant in Buffalo. Started out as a food truck, from a food truck to a brick and mortar space within a five year span. Very similar path to me and my concept. Um, and and I admired that about him. And I've went to him for for to be a mentor throughout this entire process. And yeah, he he got me on the Bianca Napoli canned tomatoes. You know, I was I've tried so many. I mean, the imported ones from Italy. Um, you know, official San Marzano tomatoes, you know, you're talking La Bella San Marzano, you've got Cento, you've got Chao Pomodori, Gusta Rosso. There's so many different tomatoes out there, um, all different flavor and consistency. And for me, utilizing the organic California grown is it's local ish, you know, and it's a quality product. Like you said, Chris Bianco is one of the owners and there's Rob Dinopoli. Rob Dinopoli ran uh, a tomato farm. Um, and from there, uh, there was Dinopoli tomato products, and then Chris Bianco wanted to work with him and offer an organic, organic California-grown tomato, and that's where they came up with Bianco Dinopoli tomatoes. They have three lines. We use all three of them. We use their Rustic Crush, their Crushed and Puree, and their Whole Peeled. Um, and tomato, obviously being one of the most important components to the pizza-making process next to your dough. Um, and for me, I love it the most. I've tried 30 different kinds of tomatoes. And to me, that one is the best on the market in the industry, in my opinion. Yeah. Really, really good rounded flavor, good yes. bodies, enough sweetness, but not, it doesn't taste sweet. It's not exactly. like added sugar. It's a very, it's a very complex flavor. <laughs> and I completely understand. I'm, I'm so, I'm so thrilled when you, I, I didn't, I don't, I'm not sure I knew that you'd worked with Jay that much. Cause yeah. I, I loved, I mean, he and I got along exceptionally well. Yeah. Like he would come up and visit Rochester. He had you know, some family up here. Yeah. We'd go out and eat pizza and yeah. just hang out. He was he's one of my absolute favorite people because yeah. of that depth of passion. Um, yeah, he's he is a mad scientist. Yeah, you know, and and like I said, there's so many people within this industry who who think they have all the secrets and the secrets to their success and why their pizza is so good. But the information's out there. Yeah. you know, it's in. All those top books, it's on forums, it's on blogs, it's in videos. Do the research. Yeah, you can find the information. But there's no secrets to making great pizza. It's proper fermentation, quality ingredients. Simple as that. It's and doing execution. the work. Yeah, simple as that. And and Jay, Jay is very much so someone who just wants to make an impact on the pizza community just by sharing knowledge and insight and guidance. Yeah. And, and I admire him for that. For sure. And he just did not want to take anything from anyone in Buffalo, New York, because there's there's Rochester-style pizza, there's Buffalo-style pizza, and he was completely against that Buffalo-style pizza 100%. scene. 100%. And, and, and I get these phone calls to this day, too, and him and I just, we, we, <laughs> we, we admire and talk about these phone calls, but yeah. do you guys make sheet pizzas and sell buckets of wings? No, we do not that do that. We are not that kind of pizzeria, nor no. will we ever be that kind of pizzeria. And I want to make that clear. <laughs> um, it's not something I'm passionate about. And to me, it's 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 a, a, a style of pizza for sure, but it's not one authentic to the craft itself. Well, and it's not what you want to do. You have a specific vision mm -hmm. and you're that's what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You're not, and it's okay. Everybody, we should have the ability with specialization in restaurants that are passionate to what they're doing that are doing one thing, one thing relatively and doing it exceptionally well. I mean, there's a place for all these places that are for everybody that offer something for everybody. And that's great. I love that. But the places I tend to gravitate to are the ones that say, Hey, we do this thing. 
This mm-hmm. is what we do. This is what I care about. Mm-hmm. Everything about it. I'm paying attention to the details. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the places I love. I mean, and I'll bring up another one because, I mean, I think it's one of the exceptional places in Rochester and everybody's heard me talk about it, but you know, Flower City Bread, what Keith, you know, what Keith Myers yeah. and the team's doing over there, they do bread. I mean, they do pastries and they do other stuff, but all the things they do are to the point, crisp, executed nearly perfectly, mm-hmm. and everything about it is done with intentionality. Yeah. Like there's no there's no ifs, ands, or buts. It's done the way it has to be done. Yep. Yep. And and that's the biggest thing, you know, for me. When, when when making pizza, it's just every single detail from the the details of how to properly mix dough to properly ferment it to properly portioning it. You know, we spend literally two to three hours a day just on dough, yeah. just dough alone. There's places, pizzerias that spend 45 minutes a day on dough. We are spending nearly double, triple that amount just on dough. Um, and then from there, you know, from, from the dough goes to the sauce and our recipe for that. And then from there, it's the baking process. And then from there, it's the resting and cooling. And from there, it's the cutting and the garnishing. Every aspect is super, super crucial to, to, to effectively making a high-quality product. Yeah. Simple as that. Well, let, let's talk about, uh, I'm going to bring up some of my personal experiences. And then we'll, we'll also talk about, first, we'll talk about the... Um, vegan options, yeah. which, you know, I've been vegan for almost two years now. And I really appreciate the level of detail you've put into doing the vegan side of your menu as well, because a lot of places and, you know, places that are offering it, um, some are doing a really good job. Like, um, you know, what, uh, what, uh, uh, Brian and, uh, uh, Brian and James are doing over at pizza wizard. They do a good job. They're conscientiously doing ingredients mm-hmm. to make it taste good. And you're one of the places that is doing it really well because everything you've done on your vegan pizzas, you have obviously, and I I can say this because obviously with everything else you're talking about, you have tasted all the things and you have picked the absolute best of what the vegan side of ingredients has to offer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for me, it's just trying to find the, 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 the highest quality ingredients and even like vegan cheeses. I tried a dozen of them. I figured you did because the a one you ended up with is fantastic. Yeah, and 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 it's a newer company, um, Numu, incredible. It melts just like a dairy cheese. It, it caramelizes like a dairy cheese, and and it has the same mouthfeel like a dairy cheese. Yeah, I mean um, it's. I mean it, it's, it's close. It's close. You're because, never gonna get. You, you, I mean, right. you're comparing apples to oranges at the end right. of the day. You're not gonna get um, the pole. You're not gonna get yes. that same that squeaky the squeaky chew that yeah. you go with fresh cheese. But it's come a long freaking way, and that is so one much of better. yes, absolutely. And quite frankly, like the new moo cheese is really, really well on, uh, like on top of tomato sauce, incredibly mm. well. Um, and for me, uh, as far as those ingredients, finding the best plant based ingredients, you know, just doing research and trying and sampling these things, and and trying, trying to go into it, not just trying to have it say, oh, it tastes exactly like. Real mozzarella. Oh, it tastes exactly like, you know, real pepperoni. You're never going to get that. You want to find the best of it in its category. This is the best plant-based cheese for pizza. This is the best plant-based pepperoni for pizza. Um, and, and sourcing, like I said, quality ingredients. So like our specialty pizza that we are running, which I am beyond grateful that Andrea has shared that amongst the vegan community because as soon as she did that, I'm not even kidding you, we were selling eight to one. Eight to one vegan specialty pizzas 
to traditional dairy and and meat animal protein containing pizzas. We've got a we wild mind blown by yeah. mind blown. And the feedback has been overwhelming in such a positive way. Um, and it's got me rethinking my whole, you know, uh, uh, process and, and my approach into the, to the vegan offerings. And clearly I need to expand that. And that's my goal. And I'm, I'm going to be attending the pizza expo in a few weeks. And, and that's going to be a main focus for me is going there with the intent to learn more about plant-based options, because it is a very, very trending, um, um, I guess, trending topic within the food industry. Um, and, and quite frankly, it's growing every year, year after year. And society is, 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 is trending that way. Um, you're seeing more people who, who may, may not be eating meat five, six days a week. They might be eating it, you know, two or three and the rest of the week, or it's, a you know, two or three meals out of their day are vegan, you know, and me being Hispanic, we ate meat, protein, dairy, all that stuff, mm. every meal, three meals out of the day. And that's what I was brought up on and raised. And now, you know, over the course of the last year or two, I've really been able to to learn a little bit more about it, um, understand that it is growing and people are changing their diets and their lifestyles because of, you know, sustainability purposes could be, you know, uh, uh, whether whatever the case may be, whether it's earth, whether it's the animals, whether health, find your route, <laughs> whatever it is or the reason. Um, and, and, and pursue that veganism lifestyle. Yeah. And my wife actually has been vegan now for about nine months. So she, she's been a huge role in all of this, um, and, and providing me, you know, insight and knowledge and pushing me to, to really revamp my whole vegan offerings. Well, and I think the important part is for, especially, you know, I'm sure she has the same kind of passion. I, I remember meeting her over one of the summers when yeah. you were testing different flowers and we were talking about all that. And what what I always focus on is, are you trying to make it as good as you can? I, I don't want a bad product. I don't, I don't, I won't buy it if it's not good. Yeah. Like, I just won't eat it. I will eat something else. I'll eat amazing, you know, Szechuan food. I'll eat... Yeah you know, uh, Lebanese or Syrian food. I'll eat amazing other foods. I just won't eat it anymore if it's not good. Yeah. Because there's no, to me, that's the biggest frustration is places that won't try to make it delicious. Mm -hmm. Just being vegan isn't enough. It's not. Mm -hmm. You have to make it delicious. And there's almost no excuse to not making something delicious because if you put the work into it, Let's talk about the specialty pizza you made. Yeah, so, so, so back Andrea, to the specialty. Right, Andrea she, from she Red shared Fern. it on social media. Um, Andrea has been a huge, huge, huge help um, in, in providing me that reach amongst the vegan community. But that specialty pizza uh, was 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 something we intended to do uh, for our, 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 what do we call it, our meat eater customers. Mm-hmm. Um, but we figured, how do we translate this to a vegan option? And essentially what it is is a, a garlic and oil base, plant-based cheese with uh, black pepper salami from the vegan butcher. Rob over there hooked us up with that. Which worked perfectly. The The texture of that, the crisp, was yes. just a delight. Yes. So so it's baked with those ingredients. Um, then when the pizza comes out, cut it, and it's garnished with hydroponic arugula from Bolton Farms. Yep. Um, we import sun-dried red peppers from Italy. Um, they're like sweet and tangy. They're a flavor bomb. Really good. Um, and then we uh, cooked up organic shallots, crisped them up in sunflower oil, um, sprinkled that on the pizza, um, and then extra virgin olive oil on there, as well as a vegan parm. 
and boy, that is one delicious pizza. It really um, is. And and I, I'm super proud of that one. Um, and, and whether you get the, the plant-based version of it or, you know, your animal protein version of it, they're both delicious. Um, our, our, our traditional version has a blend of, it's got a garlic cream base. Um, it's got, you know, a manchego and house-made mozzarella blend with a uh, salami picante, which is a spicy salami. Um, and that pork that's used is a pasture-raised pork. Um, and then from there, baked, garnished the exact same way. Um, but obviously being, you know, dairy-containing ingredients and, and animal protein ingredients. But, but yeah, man, it, it was surreal to see the amount of, of love from the vegan community. And, and quite frankly, none of them knew about us. No. We, had, we were selling probably, you know, two to three vegan pizzas an evening two weeks ago. Now we're doing like eight to ten. So it's literally doubled over the week, which is absurd. So you're talking potentially 50 total vegan pizzas a week. That's a significant significant amount, yeah. you know, in the total pieces when you're only making, you know, 400 a week, 50 of them. That's a solid amount. It's huge. Yeah, there's a ton of demand. The vegan community here is very passionate. Yeah. And especially yeah. if you're making an effort to cater to them, uh, you're going to get some demand. And I do have to say, like, the, the topping balance was really good. So my, my only, if, if I'm being, like, super specific. Yeah, yeah. The only thing I would tweak is um, because it didn't have the tomato underneath, it needed a little acid pop because there was a lot of rich ingredients. Yeah. Um, like for me, I used a little used a little hot sauce or a little, I used the tomato that we got from the vegan arancini, which were also nearly perfect, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate um, it. So I used a little bit of the tomato on there just to bring that acid in there yeah. or a little hot sauce because of the richness on richness. Not yeah. that it was like oppressive. It's not like a, you know, cream and cheese and like thick sausage and all that stuff. But for me, it's just a little acid balance. And that the richness of it, I mean, that Numu cheese is very rich. Yeah, I for mean, sure. It's a very, very high fat cheese. And most plant-based cheeses are high in fat. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's something we're learning. You know, we're testing things out. And, and quite frankly, we're, we're learning how to make some some cream sauces and things like that. Yeah, I was going to um, mention because there's like, there's a lot of, you know, it's really, and you can do it relatively affordably as yeah. well, making your own cream sauces. Um, I've got a couple uh, ideas for you to, yeah, yeah, to yeah. bat around as well and, after. And I'm, again, I'm open to any suggestions because at the end of the day, I'm super new to it. Yeah. You know, it's not nothing, not anything that I truly practice every single day. You know, and and I know that there's so much room for or opportunity for improvement, and that's something that is instilled in my mind. Yeah. Continuous improvement. Um, yeah. Well, and that's I, so. Just one other one other note. So I've had a bunch of your pizzas since you opened until now, and what I can say is it always tastes like you're evolving. Yeah. And. The one I had the other day, and what I didn't know, because I haven't bought at some of the larger pizzas, right? I usually buy 14 inches, mm -hmm. which is your normal size, and this was an 18 because I was splitting it with the wife and having some leftovers for the next day. Um, the the texture on the dough, I know you had been tweaking your doughs for takeout yeah. when you were doing the pop-ups, and this one actually had a different texture. So it almost had that pastry-like middle where it was the – it wasn't like – puffy crisp it was almost almost pastry like in the middle where it had a little bit different texture i didn't know if that was something you'd been working on or if it was something you were you know dialing in or it's just variation by day i mean 
every single week we're looking to tweak and improve. I mean, we're, we're always striving for that perfect pizza in that pizza box. Cause at the end of the day, a pizza box, a coffin for any pizza. Um, and, and, and for us, we need to execute pizza at a high level because we're only a takeout pizza. We don't have seating. Right. So we have to make that pizza as good as we possibly can. So from when it leaves our restaurant to get to their house in a 10 to 15 minute span. Um, and, and, but yeah, we're constantly tweaking and adapting every single day. And like I said, it's minor things, you know, adjusting the hydration percentage, it's tweaking the, the fermentation process. And we, we really aren't adjusting like actual ingredients. I mean, our New York style is actually a four flower blend blended together to, to achieve that unique flavor and texture. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say the biggest thing for me is actually keeping it like having that pizza maintain its integrity or having that dough and that crust maintain its integrity from point A to point B. And that's the thing I could say that this, this was probably the one that was most consistent from when I had it then when I reheated it, it actually kept the texture really well because the puff on the outside was still delicate, Mm -hmm. but the inside had this, when I say pastry, it means it has a chew to it where the bottom was a hair leathery. Mm Mm-hmm in a way where it maintained its integrity over being refrigerated, reheated. And when I reheated, it really wasn't that different. Yeah, no. Which is hard to do. It's Everyone always says that, like, your pizza is excellent the day of, and some people are like, I think it's even better the next day. And quite frankly, I think our pizza in slice form is in its best form. So if you come in and get a slice, you're going to have the pizza in its best form because that second reheat, it extracts a little bit more moisture out of that crust. It, 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 gives it a little bit more of a crunch um and and you always hear you know dave portnoy the no flop you know that whole thing and that's every pizza maker's dream to have that no flop and when you get that you know you get that almost every single time in our slices um but yeah it's one of those things like we're trying to execute our pizza at a high level and have a quality takeout pizza but it's really really hard and that's why we got those perfect crust liners that actually help let some of that moisture and heat escape from underneath that pizza and allow it to have, you know, if you have any renderings or grease drip from that pizza, it kind of falls in between the cracks of that textured surface. So keeping your pizza a lot more crisp from point A to point B. Yeah, because I can definitely taste the difference texture-wise from when you started to now. Yeah. Because for all intents and purposes, pizza is a terrible takeout food. Oh, yeah, 100%. People think it's the best. It's awful. It's a terrible takeout Mm -hmm. food because it just dies on the box. Yeah, absolutely. It's a coffin. And it's it's so depressing because it's like, oh, you lose so much quality. And I do have to say, you know, from my perspective, having tasted it all the way through, you've definitely gotten it so much better for takeout. And I know you're already focusing on it. And we still are every day. I mean, you got to have that mindset to continue to improve because if you don't, you get complacent. Yeah. And, and now it becomes like a... a habitual, routine, same kind of thing. Every single day that we make dough, it's unfortunately it comes out a little different, you know, and and there's just so many different variables that cause that. But like for us, it's like having that mindset of like, all right, we want to make this dough exactly the same as yesterday's, you know, and do everything we can to get it the same as yesterday's. Yeah. Um, and, and of all the pizzas we, that I make and my team makes every single evening, we are fully aware that, there's probably only a handful that come out every evening that are executed perfectly. And and that might just be me, the chef in me, to say I'm being hard on myself. Um, people are like, no, you're crazy, dude. Every single pizza that comes out of this place is beautiful and perfect. But I'm like, 
but is it, you know, texturally, aesthetically, you know, the right balance of cheese, the right balance of sauce. You know, we try everything we can to portion, you know, and make sure that we have a consistent portion from, you know, A through Z um, during that process. But unfortunately, every single one of us has maybe a little bit heavier of a hand. You know, what what I think is a good amount of Parmesan grated on a pizza might look like light to someone else, you know. And and those are the little things, that little hurdles or struggles or whatever you want to call it um, for the consistency piece. But, yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing is trying to trying to make it as consistent as possible and train and develop your staff to have that appreciation and 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 focus on the detail. And, and not only that, but the biggest thing aside from the quality of food is the quality of service. They go hand in hand. So I want to offer a quality pizza and a quality experience for that customer when they walk in that door and when they leave that, that pizzeria and then they go home and they eat that pizza, you know, and, and for me, there's nothing more rewarding than when I get feedback and they say, this took me back to a memory. That's what food's all about. Yeah. You know, taking you back, like having that nostalgic feel to it, you know, and, and, and for me, when I hear those words, that's what drives me. That's why I'm doing this, you know, and, and it brings, I get goosebumps thinking about it, you know, on the back of my neck and on my arms, because when you hear that, it's like you've executed everything to the highest level and that customer saying thank you for that experience and telling you that story. It's, 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 it's so like emotionally, I don't know how to explain it. It's just a, 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 an incredible feeling, you know, and, and that's, that's what drives me. That's what I love. Yeah. And I can see it on your face. And every time I walk into the pizzeria, you've got, you know, you've got a a friendly staff. You know, this isn't the classic brusque pizzeria. Mm -hmm. And as we wrap up, I mean, it's so obvious that the people that you're working with, you've worked on that because it's obvious that everybody's treating the customers with a friendliness and warmth and a passion that comes through both in the pizzeria when you get home. And if you're paying attention to the details, Everything about it feels complete from start to finish. So uh, I could not recommend going to Peels on Wheels Pizza Garage more. Um, Luis, where can they find you again so they can go buy your pizza? Yeah, so 1157 Culver Road um, here in the city of Rochester, directly across the, the street from Arlene's Costumes um, in the, the Beachwood neighborhood. So you hit that Culver Parcells uh, intersection there, you will find us shortly after that intersection. Um, but yeah, no, we, we, we love making quality pizza and definitely look forward to serving as many people of the Rochester community as possible. Awesome. So go to peelsonwheelspizza.com. You can order ahead so you can uh, make sure you get your pizza when you want it. They're really good at that. Um, and uh, otherwise, uh, if you want to find me after all this time, you probably already follow me, but <laughs> at Stromy on Twitter and Instagram, new Food About Town podcast on Instagram as well. So follow me there because I'm going to try to pop that social media a little bit better. And we'll be back next time with more from the Food About Town podcast. <laughs>